Welcome to Audible Interlude, a G.I. Joe podcast. I am your host, Dave West, codename Phantom Troublemaker. And I am your co-host, Noel Wood, codename Crapshoot. And I'm your Cobra intern who snuck away from his hurricane party to do this podcast, codename Legion Cub. No, no, that's right. Yeah, stay safe down there. Apparently, yep. we, we might lose Florida. Eh, is it a loss? Well, okay. <laughs> I would, well, I would hate I to can lose. Swim. I would hate to lose Disney World, and I would hate to lose ah, you. True. <laughs> uh, so, this is, once again, we're kind of shuffling things around because of Hasbro's schedule. Normally, we would be doing a news episode right now, but obviously, for the listeners, tomorrow is the G.I. Joe panel for PulseCon. Uh, and also, all of the pre-orders will go up, whatever they may be. And, uh, you know, the the dozen more pre-orders to add to the 63 that we already have outstanding. <laughs> um, so... What we're doing this week, we're going to have next week, uh, we will have the news episode to cover PulseCon and whatever goes on there. Uh, And we're also pondering, fellows, we're pondering, do we want to do a live stream Saturday night uh, that would be the episode, but we would do it live Saturday night so people could join in, ask questions, talk about uh, what happened with Hasbro are you first are you guys available and two are you into it i'm totally into it as long as i have power (laughs) right (laughs) i am i am not aware of anything i have going on at the time um at this point so i'll tentatively say sure okay cool um we'll figure out a time i'm likely i do you want to stick to our 8 p.m normal yeah okay so yeah let's let's say 8 p.m eastern time Uh, which will be tomorrow for those of you listening to this episode. Now we'll get on and we'll talk about uh, everything. We'll we'll do the news and then that'll be our episode that you'll also be able to hear via audio next week. Uh, But for now we talked about GI Joe, a real American hero number one on the last episode. And I think we all agreed there is so much more that we can discuss about this historic milestone of gi joe so what we have is uh we're doing a segment episode but it's going to be focused around gi joe a real american hero number one Uh, and i think you guys are going to have a great time listening to this one because we've got we've got so many notes you guys so many notes (laughs) Uh, are we ready to go ahead and jump into our first bit here yes yo joe Okay, so we talked about it a little bit last time. Uh, One of the things that makes this comic book so interesting is that for the first time ever, a commercial for a comic book aired on American television. And this was Hasbro's sneaky way of advertising their new toy line, which at the time was against federal regulations. But they could say, hey, look, here's a new comic book for all the kids to read. Maybe there's a toy line. We don't know, whatever. But look at this cool animation and all these great characters. Uh, So what we're going to do now, we are, the three of us are going to watch this commercial. You guys will be able to hear it. 
Uh, and then we're going to share our thoughts. We're going to break it down. We're going to analyze it and uh, see exactly what is going on with this, you know, at the time in 1982, completely unprecedented piece of media. She's been kidnapped by Cobra. We have no alternative. Call in G.I. Joe. fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. He never gives up. He'll stay till the fight's won. G.I. Who's leader of the Joe team? Fuck. He's America's best. He's in control. He's the man Good luck, Joe. He wins his name. The Legend of G.I. Joe. You from Marvel Comics. Okay, so let's talk about what we just saw. I got to catch uh, my breath. A lot of things just happened in 30 seconds. Okay, well, I, we're going to jump to the middle because the first thing we have to talk about, uh, two flashes? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's not flashing ground lasers. <laughs> so this commercial uh, features... Animation that I, I would say is probably a step above Sunbow. Like, I to me, it looks... Oh, really? Do you disagree? I don't disagree. We'll discuss it, and then I will tell you about the animation. Oh, studio. okay, okay. Yeah, I, I will, Chris, Christian has info. I'll say it's hard to tell because the copy that uh, is on YouTube is not of the highest quality. It's And I couldn't find one, that which is really unusual because you can find... Uh, G.I. Joe commercials, you can find quality on YouTube where you can see like the pores in the cartoon characters. <laughs> right. And they don't even have pores. Uh, this one, it's so pixelated and terrible. It's amazing there's not a better quality uh, one available. And I'm willing to bet, though, that sometime this weekend, uh, one of our listeners will send me a link to a high quality version that I will be very happy to see. Yes. I uh, hope. So, man, there's a lot to this. Yeah. Noel, you were the first one who brought up us watching the commercial uh, when we were first going to talk about the first issue of the comic. Do you remember this from being on TV? Mm, I don't think so. I mean, it's, I was, if it came out in 82, I was seven years old. So I don't remember what I would have been watching at the time. But yeah, I don't I don't remember seeing this as a kid. I remember like hearing about the comic book later on. I very specifically remember the commercial for issue number two, but I don't remember this one. See, I very clearly remember this and issue number two. The other ones when I watch them hit or miss, but um me and my elementary grade school best friend, we were both into comics at the time and seeing a commercial on TV for a comic book, like we we were calling each other, well, our parents were dialing the phone for us, but we were calling each right. other that, that afternoon being like, did you just see this? What's this G.I. Joe? Like it was, it was all we could talk about. Well, and that's what I wonder if the culture at the time, uh, because in, in, in 82, when this hit, uh, uh, certainly people then didn't really know what G.I. Joe was or what this was all mm -hmm. about. So I have to imagine people that were into comic books like yourself and, and were a little bit more in the know 
I, I, their minds had to be blown that there was a commercial on TV for a comic book of all things. Especially an animated one. Because, you know, there's, it's afternoon, you know, after school. Like, there are cartoons of other shows, and that's legit what we thought was happening. And then, wait, no, it's a comic book? Yeah. And we weren't entirely, because, man, at that time, it's like, of course, we had, you know, X-Men, but we were huge into rom and like all these other comics that were based on on toy lines we hadn't seen any toys on the shelf there's no cartoon like our little minds just could not we were absolutely blown away we just could not process what is this what's going on and not being able to immediately find the comic Right, and I don't know what the lead time was on the commercial versus the comic actually hitting the stands. Yeah. Uh, but what's so interesting is this isn't all just like generic action animation. Some of it is the story from the comic. Yeah. 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 And they, they show the daring rescue, which is clearly not Stalker in this version, uh, rescuing Dr. Adele Burkhart from the back of the Cobra limousine. And it was that's how they could get away with it, really, because with the way that the child advertisement laws were, it I don't know that they could have pulled that fast one if it had just been generic action, action, action. You made right, this commercial right. to promote a comic book, so, so therefore, we're gonna show you what you're getting in this comic. Well, and what it's it's awesome because you're literally seeing these panels in animated form. You're seeing the hydraulic lift bringing the vamp up. Oh, that gave me chills. Mm. It's, oh, it's so good. And you're seeing General Flag and General Austin. Uh, and it it's only thirty seconds. It moves. We see the uh, the my favorite shot of the whole thing, aside from the two flashes, double flash. <laughs> what does it mean? Uh, is Scarlet. With her crossbow, with the MMS behind her, mm-hmm. mm. uh, Which is and the in fact- the pit, right. like it's the scene from the the training room in the pit, basically. But the MMS is in there, and and it's literally, well, let's just get as much stuff as we can into this, yeah, whole thing. And I love the the Joes and Flag and Austin standing around this model. Of the Spanish fortress that's on <laughs> that's on what is referred to at the time as Cobra Island. Uh, I and, mean, it really is. It's it's everything. And look how big the flak is there. I'm sitting here rewatching it as we're talking about it. Um, it's the it's same. The, M- the MMS and the flak are the scale is completely wrong on. They're both huge. <laughs> and you can see where. Um, some of the Sunbow animation models kind of sprung from at this because when Hawk shows up, he's Duke's animation model. Oh, from the yes, yes. The the close up on Hawk's eyes, that's Duke. Yeah. Hundred percent it is. And, uh and, and Hawk riding the ram. Uh and then we've got a number of Mobats, tons of Mobats. I love that because you know we've we've had the discussion a couple of times of like 
are these individual vehicles or do they have like an army of havocs which we see our army of havocs in in uh the movie movie. well and in in the the when we reviewed the last issue they kind of imply okay right now they've all got one of these vehicles and they they lose them in the battle but they're like don't worry after our performance today the government's gonna buy us more uncle uncle sugar's gonna buy some more (laughs) yeah yeah uh, so here, here we are again at Double Flash, which, okay, uh, well, well, I'll save it for the next segment. I'll save it for the next segment. And actually, I've got an add a note in there for it because I'm not, we've got so much to talk about. I'm not even going to remember. Uh, the, the, the Gambello twins, we just maybe lost one in an early right, battle. Right. Okay. Flash I just made crash. a note. I just has, made a note. <laughs> has there ever been a release and I'm a terrible Joe fan for not knowing this of the full theme song. We are here because the music is the same. Christian, but... our our motto is enthusiasm over expertise. <laughs> <laughs> that is our tagline. Every uh, time I listen to the commercial, I'm like, I it the lyrics are different. Here, well, yeah. okay, so there's this this theme song is different, and they also have not done a commercial release of the Sunbow theme song because. Oh. There is something about the vocalist mm. and the rights. Yep. That's why on that vinyl release that they did a couple of years ago, it does not include the animated series theme song. It only has the end credits version of it. Yeah, anytime you have vocals on a composition, it makes the, the licensing a whole yes. different story. And conversely, this is kind of a side topic, but like a lot of the instrumental themes of TV shows have lyrics because they have to, to be able to retain the trademarks. That's why the Star Trek theme has lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I totally not related to Joe per se, but why I said, Oh, Hasbro is because the reason why in the live action gym and the holograms movie, they could not use any music from the show is not from the vocalist because the vocalist has been, has tried to work with Hasbro, but the lady who actually wrote the lyrics mm-hmm. oh, has not wow. given them the blessing. So dang Hasbro, you gave us great m- music over all these years, but it seems only the Transformers you, team. You didn't do a to... very good job with the contracts back yeah. in the day. Wow. Although that may be more of a Sunbow thing than a Hasbro thing. Well, and then also, like, up until this point, children's programming was essentially disposable. Yeah, so, right. Mm-hmm. you know, no no one would imagine that 40 years later we'd be sitting around doing podcasts about this stuff. Well, I mean, we're lucky. Look at what happened with Doctor Who, where they were literally just throwing them in the trash because they thought, well, nobody's ever going to want to watch these. All those old game shows that they just recorded over taped over the same yeah they just yeah. came use, uh, using the same tapes because there was no foresight there i mean nobody could even conceive of a world where there would be entire streaming over the air channels <laughs> dedicated to programming from the 70s like nobody well, could even imagine such like a thing. marty mcfly's uncle said what's a rerun mm-hmm. <laughs> yes exactly uh okay so we're at double flashes uh, we get the Howl blowing open the Spanish Fortress. We get Stalker with the jump, uh, which is colored silver, which I, I, uh, as many different colors of jump jetpacks as any company wants to release, I'm down with it. 
Let's make it happen. Uh, we've got this awesome car that looks like the Batmobile, uh, which is a little bit different in the comic because this is the uh, the scene we're actually seeing here is when they send Baroness out as a decoy dressed up like Dr. Burkhart. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this the animation is actually elaborating a little bit more than the comic did on this particular scene. But I love how it goes into the panel and then does the zoom out. Uh, so that we see, oh, this is all happening in the pages of a comic book. Where might I purchase this delightful <laughs> periodical? Oh, wonderful animated commercial. And there it is, the cover. Uh, one of the greatest comic book covers of all time. I said, I, I would say, and again, I said this last time, it may be my bias, but this is the best issue number one cover ever. I think so. I, it's 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 amazing. I mean, there's so much action uh you have these characters that all look interesting and are doing things. Uh, it's, it's a phenomenal cover. And we, and we didn't talk a, a ton about it last episode, even though we were reviewing the comic, but I think we were so eager to get to what was inside. Uh, but that, you know, the red in the background, interesting choice because rather than having a blue sky, you've got this red background. Uh, and it just pops. It does. And it that's... really, really does. The GI Joe logo, the word bubbles, uh, it's just fantastic but this commercial is i mean it's a piece of history it's it is a sea change in marketing and advertising and the relationship between toys and comics and television uh it's 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 awesome it's amazing to watch for the listeners if you if you haven't watched it track down this this terrible low res and and I hate to talk smack about it because it's on the 3D Joe's channel, and I'm sure it's the best one they could possibly put up because yeah, they're, they're they're not the ones who put it together. So right, right, exactly. They just found the best one that they could and uploaded it. Uh, all right. So the commercial, fantastic. So real quickly, I oh yeah, talk, give us our I, background. I want to give you some background, Mr. And Mr. How... Cobra Head of Research. How <laughs> this commercial actually. Uh, affected our our the shows we watched growing up. Um, all right, so obviously Sunbow did not exist when this commercial was made. So it was a marketing firm, Griffin and Bacall. Those uh, names sound familiar. <laughs> <laughs> so we've discussed it at length about what the advertising laws were. So I don't really need to get into that, but essentially uh, because there was no cartoon, there was no mini comic, there was no, you know, pack in story. They had the brilliant idea. We can at what let's get a comic book and we can advertise the comic book. So of course they hook up with Marvel. They strike up this deal and I'm not for sure, actually, who got the better deal. Probably Hasbro, but uh, essentially, Hasbro paid for the animated commercials. Marvel would produce the comic book. So Hasbro got free advertising from Marvel every single month. And then, you know, they just had to make X amount of commercials per year. Well, and it so- makes sense because... In the end, Hasbro was the one, theoretically, who stood to profit the most off of this entire endeavor. Correct. 
So Griffin and Bacall uh, reached out to, uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. They reached out to Toei Animation, one of the largest uh, animation studios in Japan to do this commercial. Um, And when you said that this animation quality looked even better than Sunbow, something to keep in mind, if you if you ever looked up the original commercial that Filmation did for the He-Man action figures before they made the TV yes. show, yes. the quality is night and day different. Sure, sure, because it's it's a different task creating a right. thirty second thirty seconds of anima- animation versus twenty two minutes of animation. Very right. different. So these commercials and I, I don't have a timeline but it must have been fairly quick when you look at when the toy lines came out and when the first uh, gi joe miniseries hit but the commercials were so profitable for griffin and bacall that they left the marketing business and opened up their own little studio called Sunbow. Ah. And, and so they already had that relationship with Toei. So they had that relationship with Hasbro and therefore they were able to use that to kind of get first right refusal to work on all these other shows. Wow. So that commercial actually is the genesis of what became Sunbow. That's awesome. That's that makes I mean that makes Joe even more special and historical. You yeah. Know? If it wasn't for them, Transformers wouldn't look like well, I mean, all those shows that Sungo did. Just uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It would have been completely different. So yeah, when I found that out, my little mind was Cobra blown. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. Uh, all right, guys. Well, that is uh, that's our commercial talk, but there is even more about GI Joe, a real American hero, number one, that we need to discuss. Is it time to move on? I think so. So last episode, we covered number one pretty thoroughly. However, two of us in the room right now were not able to read the backup story that is the last, what, 20 pages of issue number one uh, that I'll, I'll be honest, I had completely forgotten about because I've been going off my trade paperbacks for years now. But in doing my research for the issue, I was like, wait a minute, what is hot potato? And Noel, who had access to the most complete version of number one, was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got hot potatoes. So he shared it with us. Christian and I have now done our research, read hot potato, gotten uh, gotten our thoughts in on it. Uh, But before we break down hot potato, we've got to talk about one of my favorite things in all of comic books, and that is the cutaway of the pit that is in the middle of this issue yes 
this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So you didn't and, have access to this either last week. This wasn't in your copy. No, either. this no. is not in. Uh, this is not in the because <laughs> Christian, you said you've got the IDW trade. Yep, I've got the Marvel trade. It is not in either one of those, uh, which seems so totally unacceptable. Apparently, they have that whole back section starting with the pit has only been reprinted in GI Joe Digest number one. Tales of G.I. Joe number one and G.I. Joe, the best of Cobra Commander. <laughs> Which is a really weird. Because Cobra place. Commander needs to know the layout of the pit. If well, he's he ever does. Gonna beat the Joes. I mean, he's going to go on to to uh, blow up the pit and be presumed <laughs> dead in the pit. So <laughs> it is an intrinsic part of his story. Uh, what was interesting to me, I do wonder if Larry Hama and company kept this as a reference because looking at this cutaway and the details of the floor plans and everything, we do see some of these areas in future issues. Oh yeah. Now, yeah. Well, when like, do... is it issue three when the big robot shows up and invades the pit? I uh, couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but I, it's, I do. It's an, it's an early issue and they, it's definitely based on this pit model. Like there's, there's scenes that take place where it traverses what we see in this cutout. But I do also think that there's a little bit of the shining to this where things don't quite lay where they appear to. And there, there are open areas behind walls and windows that look out into what should be a training room and, and things of that nature. But, uh, it's still a fantastic point of reference to have. Uh, and what's interesting to me is this. So I was talking about how I didn't know if hot potato, if I had read it before, but now I'm realizing I have absolutely seen this cutaway before. So I have seen issue one in its entirety. Uh, and, and I guess maybe it's from later years when I had purchased it. Uh, because this this is not unfamiliar to me. So, if you'll notice, looking at the fifth level here, there is a room that is just labeled classified. Now, my assumption is that's where they keep their G.I. Joe classified series collection. Exactly, yeah. You want that in a stable place where people aren't going to be knocking things over. But if you'll notice, behind the classified room... There's a top secret room. <laughs> like it's not enough for it to be classified. They also have a top secret room that looks like it's connected by little tunnels. Like this almost looks like a resident evil map. <laughs> uh, I just, I, I really love that. The top secret behind classified. Uh, yeah, I studied this. I mean, for, I would say probably days of my life could be uh, if you if you added all the time that I spent staring at this one image. Well, I tried to figure out at one point we've we've talked before about how valuable the styrofoam inserts for yep. appliances were to us as kids. And I remember trying to figure out how I could stack styrofoam uh, those inserts to make the pit. Mm hmm. Like, I still sit there and think, you know, maybe I'll just go run up to my local Sam Flax and buy some foam core and just build this one day when I'm bored. 
but you got to think how big would this be because oh, yeah. just just looking at the third level um you know it's got the pool it's got like that that little section with the pool alone you're looking at at least 10 inches high mhm so this thing is going to be 5 feet tall if not more well, Jada Collectibles needs to just start putting out more vehicles so I can build it at that scale. There you go. There you go. The, my vamp would be would be a good size for that. Well, they they appear to be whipping things out at the rate of about one a year. <laughs> so by the time you're seventy, you might have enough of a collection. You know what? What I'm I'm sitting here next to my uh, shelving units, and I'm realizing the easiest thing to do if you really wanted to build a pit would be to get uh, some of these hardware store shelves like I've got and then build onto these. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. which, which is kind of what I've got going on anyway with all the Joe vehicles on it. Uh, but yeah, that would be a good base for something like this. Uh, but anyway, this this pit diagram is incredible. It's beautiful. Were there any other specific things about this you guys want to point out? Uh, for me, on the second level, um, I I don't remember this as a kid, uh, but the hologram room. Yes, I have a hol- I have a note that just says hologram what? room. Is that like on Friday nights? That's where they play their music and have their light show. It's where what is when, the hologram room when Jim comes right. to the pit on the USO tour? <laughs> that's the room she plays in. It's like one of the ballrooms at Dragon Con. Oh my gosh! <laughs> How awesome would that be? Now I want to live in the pit. If they have their own personal Dragon Con ballroom where Jim and right. the holograms come to play. Oh, and also, you know what? Let me throw this out there now that we're talking about this. So we have Cybertronic Spree, the greatest band in the world. Why don't we have a Jim and the Holograms band? Actually, there was for a little while. I, it really? was a it was a lip syncing act. They weren't like live performers. Uh, oh no, we need but, like a full on yeah. rock and roll Jim and the Holograms. Now I understand for for well, if Cybertronic Spree can be Cybertronic Spree. There's got to be a workaround for Jim and the Holograms, and they do the same thing. They play songs yeah. from the show, but they also play like '80s rock tunes or whatever. Do, but do a only bunch. on this level of the pit. Yes, but only on this level of the pit. But no, they would cover like <laughs> the Bangles and Madonna, right? And yeah. and uh, Tiffany. And then they throw in a Barbie and the Rockers song during the war. No, 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 not. Even even as a young fellow who had no interest uh, in like the Barbie side of things at all, like I would see the Barbie and the Rockers commercial and I'd be like, "This is just a ripoff of Jim." Yeah, sad. Their song was terrible. Yeah, it was terrible. Uh, I like how on the fourth level you have living quarters and then you have the suites. The suites. I don't know if these suites are for the officers or if this is for like the special guests that get to come in every once in a while and tour the pit. Oh, get like super high clearance. Maybe they get a celebrity in there every now and then. 
Right. Well, no, because no, when you look at the actual drawing, the Swedes don't look all that fantastic. I mean, they got they got chairs and like what look like looks like a um, a bed, a wardrobe. A it's like yeah, like the room on a cruise ship. Well, th- that's where Jim the and the holograms. That's right. That's where they <laughs> stay. When there they are four suites. There's four members of the holograms. That's right. So there that's you go. right. Uh, all right. Well, anything else about the pit before we move on to hot potato? All right. Let's talk about this story. Uh, the first thing that I noticed in, uh, because Noel, what you sent me is uh, what we're going to refer to as an import yeah, well, it's an imported copy. It's an import, uh, but it is scans of the comic. And in looking at this, uh, it really drove home that Marvel and IDW both did absolutely terrible jobs reprinting these comics. If all you have are the trade paperbacks, like, because I I have, uh, I've probably got about 100 issues of the comic, like original single issues of the comic. And I've got, I'm missing issues here and there. So for the most part, when I go back to read them, I read the trades. And if that's all you've ever read, you do not have the right idea of what the art in mm. these books looked like. Mm. Because looking at this was a revelation. H- having fairly recently read issue number one, even before we did our review of it, seeing the difference between this and the trade that I read, somebody needs to do really nice reprints of these i'm not talking about remastered recolored i'm just talking about you know clean them up as is and give us really nice additions uh okay so hot potato written by larry hama uh, with don perlin on pencils jack abel on inks rick parker on letters glennis wayne on color and uh edited by tom defalco and right here on the first page, we get some interesting characterization because I think it's General Hawk, or I'm sorry, he's not General Hawk yet. Yes, uh, it's Colonel Hawk. Right. It's Hawk who states that Snake Eyes might leave the wounded behind, which is literally something established later on that snake eyes would never ever do well and that may just be because well he's a very mysterious character and we don't know that much about him yet although we know later on that hawk and stalker definitely have some long-time relationships with that's right that's right uh so i mean this is really this is issue number one yeah this is everybody's kind of getting their feet under them, figuring out who these characters are and what kind of stories they're going to tell. So something like that, I don't care even a little bit if it's not consistent with later things. Well, and even in the the previous, the main story in issue number one, we talked about last week, Snake Eyes ha- is like the the morally ambiguous one about like, you know, why do we care about these people? Because Scarlet translates right, him. Right, right, right. Uh, so this first page with Stalker, Hawk, and Clutch, uh, you know, kind of in disguise in this bar, or coffee house, or wherever it is they are, kind of just kind of setting things up. Such a great different thing because they're not like the first thing that jumps out at me is they don't look like the action figures. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're in they they have these headdresses on. They're in the white. Uh, you know, robes, 
They look completely different. So this is not, this is already not your standard licensed tie-in comic book. Where yeah, the characters was, have to look the same all the time. Yeah, like this was one of those like kind of special mission style books. And they, of course, we later on had a special mission spinoff. Right, but right. I always loved these stories like this, where it's like oh, they yeah. kind of took them out of the element. Because this, this as a kid, like inspired me to tell different stories when I was playing with my toys. Yeah, I ended up uh, loving special missions a little bit more than the regular series because I loved the one-shot nature, the focus on different characters. Uh, special missions, I I actually feel like, and I, I would love to be able to talk to him about this uh, at some point, but I feel like special missions was actually where Larry Hama got to flex his creativity a little bit more. Yeah, and use those characters that because it was getting so crowded at that point in time that he got to use more often so uh, this he didn't get to use it much in the regular run this does feel like kind of a proto special missions kind of thing yep and then the very next page we get you know it's beautiful the colors are vibrant the art is fantastic uh don perlin really did a wonderful job with this story but amidst all of this great art and beautiful color we have this messed up scene of dead bodies surrounding three of our Joe characters and Scarlet, who is clearly in bad shape. Like this, this panel, this splash page is incredible. It made me gasp. Even as an adult, the dead body that is closest to the reader, his eyes are open. Yes. Which I feel like, for comics in 1982, that wouldn't have been a a common thing. Well, comics, much less for one selling toys for right, children. Yeah. Right. Like we and, might have seen something like this in X Men or 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 uh, Avengers or whatever. But like for something tied directly to a toy line, yeah. And like you mentioned, like you can very clearly see Scarlet's injured, but also rock and roll kudos to the inker as well because i don't know if they intended this but the use of the shadows across his face he looks rough yeah he Mm -hmm. looks i mean they look like they have been to hell and back well and and i want to real quick i just want to say i'm so excited about the classified series rock and roll figure because they are very clearly using this as inspiration mm-hmm. for that portrait uh because you know your rock and roll figure from 1982 does not look like this no mm-hmm. he looks like clutch uh, went and you know got a bottle of peroxide <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah they're there and throughout this whole story i feel like perlin took a lot of care to make sure Scarlet looked tough, but also in terrible shape. Mm-hmm. And boy, does it get grim later. Oh, yeah. Oh, she, has grim. A, oh, she has a line in yeah. here that just... Ugh. Well, okay, so very next page, we get the idea, we get the fact that Scarlet is going to shoot rock and roll and snake eyes if they do not follow orders 
she is holding her gun on Snake Eyes, telling him because the the whole deal is they're there. The the MacGuffin of this is a tape with important information about on it uh, about this uh, colonel that's a dictator in this country, and this is the titular hot potato. This tape. The, this is the MacGuffin. Not to be confused with the MacGuffin device. Right. <laughs> uh, so she tells Rock and Roll, you're in the best shape out of all of us. You drop your gear, take this tape, and get your tail to the rendezvous point because all that matters is getting this information out. That was our mission. You're going to finish the mission. And then she turns to Snake Eyes, and she's like, and you are going to follow him and make sure he does it. And literally is pulling a pistol on him. Yeah, she tells Rock and Roll, Snake Eyes is going to make sure that you don't turn around. When I read that, I was just like, (laughs) this Scarlet is my new headcanon. Yes, she is tough. And I love that they have given this. And and, and I don't want to, you know, yeah, we we're in the era we're in, but to look back to uh, this 40, Scarlet is the Scarlet of the file card bio. Yes, mm-hmm. but but to look back to forty years ago, mm-hmm. that just caused me physical pain, <laughs> uh, and see that they were giving this characterization to a female character just supports something we've talked about on the show before and and how progressive G.I. Joe has always been, right? Mm -hmm. So next page, rock and roll, 1,000% pure intensity. This series of panels of him running as it gets progressively closer to his face. Crazy eyes. Yes. And, uh, And they establish right here that snake eyes and scarlet have yes some romantic mm-hmm. link uh so snake eyes makes sure rock and roll gets halfway and then turns around goes back for scarlet rock and roll recognizes i i have to complete this mission i have to keep going snake eyes goes back scarlet's in bad bad shape all of these dudes are just coming up on her She's got his in 60 at this point now. Yes. Mowing him yes. down. <laughs> she She's not going to last much longer, though. As a matter of fact, we have one panel where we see two of these uh, bad guys coming up behind her. You know it's almost over. One of them's getting ready to throw a grenade. It's one of those, I don't know the term for it, the grenade with the handle on it. I know there's a term for those, and I don't know what it is. Uh, and they get taken out because Snake Eyes has come back. And just like Ric Flair, with a tear in her eye, <laughs> she's actually glad that Snake Eyes has come back to save her life because nobody wants to die. Uh, and then we go back to the bar. Clutch, Stalker, and Hawk are waiting. They realize something's wrong. Uh, they've, they've taken far too long for the team to meet up with them. And then something comes through the window. It's a grenade down. No, it's the tape. And this is where the whole concept of hot potato is really fascinating through this this very brief story 
because you know first we have our three joes with the hot potato they pass it on or, or it gets passed to rock and roll rock and roll passes it on and they determine well now stalker is going to take the hot potato the whole the the momentum of the story is with this tape with right. the hot potato but the core of the story is about the people who are left behind in the wake of the hot potato. So where are you guys in this one? At this point, we've got uh, Clutch, Stalker, and Hawk in the bar. They realize we have to keep this thing going, but let's also go back for our people. Yeah. And we get an appearance by the Ram and the Vamp. As yep. rock and roll swipes that ram and heads back to go rescue uh, Snake Eyes and Scarlet. Which, of course, we had to get rock and roll on the ram at some point in time. Yes, yes. Because that's his vehicle. But I, but I love that the bottom line of this whole story is we have to get this tape out of here. That's the most important thing. And the afterthought is, but we also have to rescue our comrades. It's a very, it's a very cynical point of view that's being expressed. If you get right down to it, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, because yes. there's a. Oh, go ahead. No, I was I'm... just thinking there, there's that other line. You know, as you mentioned before, Scarlet and Snake Eyes are running low on ammo and then you have that panel scarlet's pointing to her wrist gun and she's like i have two bullets left yes like you know what she's saying it's going to be better for us to die than to be captured or killed by these by our enemies and which is the most messed up moment that i've read and i'm up to issue 61 now the most messed up moment in G.I. Joe comics that I've read so far. Yeah, it's I had to go back and reread that panel again to make sure that I was like, this is the context, right? And <laughs> she looks so defeated in mm-hmm. this panel, too. Like just the way she's drawn. Oh, it's brutal. It's brutal. Yeah. And that pistol right there on her wrist, the look on her face, the, the sweat, her hair's all messed up. Uh, but it's okay because very next panel <laughs> we get like the rock and roll on the ram moment deus mm-hmm. x craig mcconnell yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> yes, yes exactly when you guys uh, are reading it though when you got to that panel where the ram was was coming in like i as cheesy as it sounds in my head i heard the gi joe theme song and he said, oh, yeah. because it had been so bleak up to this point, and the timing was just so perfect. And his line is, eat hot lead turkeys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I think we can all, this is a family friendly show, but I do believe we can all admit that turkeys is not likely to be the word that came out of his mouth for right. this real world situation. Much like the dreadnoughts aren't really drinking uh, grape soda. Right. Yes, right. <laughs> and and that the the white substance is not sugar on donuts. Right. Uh, so rock and roll comes in, takes out all the bad guys. Scarlet hops on the back of the ram and, and Snake Eyes 
sits on the gun, which is kind of funny. Uh, but, you know, you got to make do with what you got. And then Colonel Sharif here, uh, the the infidels are escaping on a motorcycle, and he sends a jet after this motorcycle. And we get uh, the vamp shows up with Hawk and Clutch, and possibly the worst drawing of Hawk's face I've ever seen in my life. Uh, yeah. he, he looks Nothing. like Eric Stoltz from Mass. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> you went there. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> but we do get a happy ending because they shoot the with using the vamps uh uh artillery. They shoot the plane out of the sky. The good guys get away on the vehicles that you can buy at your friendly neighborhood Kmart. Uh and Stalker is literally flying off into the sunset with the hot potato and this this wonderful but corny final panel of the stewardess <laughs> asking him, what would you like with your steak? And Stalker, a potato. Make it hot. Real hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let us clarify, listeners. He's not flying away on the jump pack. No, he is no, in a commercial in a, airline. He is he is nice and cozy and comfy in first class. And he's I, and for some reason Henry Kissinger is behind him. And and I'm not sure why this flight attendant is referring to him by his secret code name and not right? by you know Mr. Wilkinson, but yeah, or, or even a pseudonym. Yeah, like because he wouldn't go by Lonzo Wilkinson. It would be like right. Ted Johnson or something, <laughs> but but whatever, it's fine, it's fine. We understand these kinds of things have to happen. Uh, so hot potato, fantastic little slice of uh, sort of extracurricular GI Joe, something outside of the main narrative that gave us a lot of characterization and really a grittier look at some of the stuff that the Joes take on. Very much like, like we said, a proto-special missions. Reading this, I I felt like this is the actual, like, war, like, veteran Larry Hama. Yeah. Like, are the, you know, what, what are the things that he saw in his time of service that this is what came from it more so than the regular gi joe comic because this went to dark places the comic usually doesn't i also like that so they establish early on that cobra is bankrolling these terrorists yes yes mm -hmm. but we're not just seeing gi joe battle cobra so there was only so much you were going to be able to do with that especially in 1982 when you had three villain action figures that were <laughs> right. coming on shelves. Right. Yeah. So being able to, to throw in some different enemies, but still tie it to your main story was a really smart way to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I would love, well, we'll, we'll get to that in our next segment. <laughs> uh, so, so the other cool thing that were, that was in this, import version of the comic we were able to read are these uh i guess pinups 
yes. at the end of the issue that are not anywhere in the trade paperbacks. First, we have a pinup of Scarlet uh, getting ready to kind of the classic scenario. She's about to shoot the apple off of Clutch's head, which I love that it's Clutch. Of course. And the look on Clutch's face is just priceless. Right? Yes. <laughs> and, and, and we all know the reason Clutch is sitting there is because he thinks if he does this, there is a chance he will get some. Right. <laughs> uh, so, and, but, but, the, the but what she says. If I miss this, I know I can get it with the machine pistol. And there's a Uzi sitting right yeah, there. There's a holster Uzi <laughs> hanging off of this uh, thing. This this is so hilarious, so fantastic. And then at the bottom right, you've got uh, the the file card uh, for Scarlet. But the art here is is really wonderful. It just it's great. It's I would if there was a poster of this, I would get it and I would hang it up in the room. Yeah, I, I, I love this. I would love to get like these. All these pages, and we'll get to the other ones here in a second. But well, just... Carson, Carson should look into like doing these as eleven by seventeen. Yeah, I was gonna say eleven portfolio. by seventeen are the perfect size for yes, this. Yes, absolutely. Uh, next up, we have Breaker. You you want to tell us a little bit about this Breaker one? Well, uh, this is uh, of course you know Breaker is there's a battle going on behind him, and uh, he's got the he's got his uh, his orange soda, he's got his bubble gum, and he is rocking out to some. Uh, rock and roll that is not a Guns N' Roses song because this was too many years before <laughs> You Will Be Mine by Guns N' Roses. Yeah, right, yeah. That was, is, that's all I could like think of. Was, Ten uh, years before You Will Be Mine. Yeah, it, it was a full decade before. Um, but yeah, he's just he's just chilling out while the while the world just blows up behind him because uh, you know he's the communications guy. I'm actually surprised they they put the M16 in his lap. Well, but he had he throughout these first issues because they only had 13 joes to choose from he is depicted very often with that m16 that's kind of the standard issue the the m16 in the comic book is the the basically like snow jobs rifle in the cartoon right uh but what's interesting to me look at this backpack it's enormous <laughs> well but this whose is this some dial has- tones no, somebody. Well, I mean, a pro. I feel like somebody it's has really a backpack that looks very much like this. Uh, um, sci-fi, is, I think, is a little similar to that. Is, is it sci-fi? Yep. We lost. We lost you, Dave. Oh, I accidentally, I accidentally hit my <laughs> mute button. Sorry. Somebody has. A silver backpack with an antenna that looks like that. I'm almost oh, you know, positive. it's a uh, psych out. I think it's got the three antennas though. Oh, so yeah, psych out mm. has one like that. Um, oh wait, what is the televipers backpack? I can't get to my cobras right now. It's more rounded. Yeah, it is more rounded, but it does have an antenna sticking up like yeah. that, doesn't it? Yeah, well, he's that also the calm guy, but he's exactly. also like uh, Breaker's got his bedroll behind him. Oh yeah, he sure does. That's funny. So yeah, so he doesn't have again, his like normal backpack. He's got uh, this oversized one. So this is well, and he also has his headset on without his helmet. All right. Well, this is this is his music uh, headset. He keeps that. Yeah, right. It's right. a spare. Uh, so th- this is great. I love this. Um, 
And then we get Flash. Well, one one of the Flash twins. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, peel well, that's potatoes. how he ended up on KP duty because unfortunately we lost the other one. Oh, you let you let your brother die. Now yep. you have to go peel potatoes as punishment for letting your brother die. <laughs> uh, some things in this man's army never change. He's just peeling potatoes, which of course is one of the like tropes of army life. Uh, and there's and a lot our of last, potatoes. Yeah. Our last one, uh, we've got Stalker. With, with arms crossed in a really weird way uh, with a jump jet pack. This may look easy, but I don't want any of you kids trying it. Because kids may may have access to a jet pack. So if you and do, the- don't try to race airplanes. Which, by the way, what kind of made-up airplanes are these? So it looks kind of like the Cobra Condor, which came out almost 10 years later. When did the Condor come out? Uh, I mean, it wasn't any earlier than 89. It was 89. So yeah, it's it's very similar in style. I mean, it's it's obviously different, um, but it has those rear-mounted forward-swept wings. Yeah. So that's and the first thing are, I saw. Is like, is, I wonder if this, if this artwork helped lead towards that Cobra Con, uh, Condor design later on, or even, uh, or even the Conquest, because that also had the forward swept mm-hmm. wings. Yeah, just a few years later. But the, these are definitely some weird because the for the most part the comic didn't get too fanciful with its backup vehicles and technology. Mm-hmm. So the, the to me these really stand out as being something different from what the comic usually presents to us. I was going to ask too, because I, I kind of mentioned it before um, and I didn't get any response from you guys. So I'm wondering if your versions had on the, at the very beginning of the comic uh, on the inside, the front cover, because there, I don't believe there were any ads in this comic initially. Oh yeah. The how. Uh, no, I do no. not have. So that's that was really wild to me as well. Uh, so at the beginning of issue number one, heavy artillery, laser, GI Joe weapons. It was, it's a GI Joe weapons profile. Yeah, and that's uh, what I loved about this was that like, okay, you can do this with your toy comic, and it makes the comic seem more special. Yes, because you have something that you're cross promoting, but at the same time, you get a little more insight about the characters and the vehicles that you're you're getting to enjoy in the story so yeah this is not in the marvel trade i'm guessing it's not in the idw trade either Mm -mm. so i mean honestly if if you're doing reprints if you're collecting comic books to me it is absolutely pathetic to leave things like this out. Mm-hmm. And I realize they're probably doing it because of page count. They want, because you have to have a certain number of pages to make a trade paperback. So they're cutting things like this. But that's, uh, again, we're a family show. That's horse poop. Well, and it's also when you're doing a trade paperback, it's you're doing it as kind of a cohesive story. A lot of times they'll do a story arc in six issues and they'll put that together in one trade. So things like this are kind of going to break that 
flow up, I guess. Yeah, so but maybe you put them in the, the back. Idea. You, you oh, yeah, put yeah, them yeah. in the yeah. back as extras. You you do something. You get to me. You get all that original <laughs> content in there, and we we talked about this off off air a little bit in our message. Uh, I you know my honest opinion is this just shows how little care these companies had for GI Joe as a brand. Because if somebody who genuinely cared about G.I. Joe was was putting this stuff together, they never would have left these things out. Yeah. Uh, they As were a literally, kid, these were the kind of pages I love this. I, I would have been obsessing over. Like I would, yeah, I would reread the comic, but I would take something like this and just hold the toy. Yes. And look at all these descriptions, yes. figure out what's what, and just yeah obsessed I, I love stuff like this so if 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 somebody who actually cared about the franchise had put these things together all of this material would have been included clearly these were put together just to make a buck uh and you know i'm glad i've got these collections because it makes it easier to read the stories but it is infuriating that that elements were just left out entirely and never properly incorporated like it's not like they went back and did supplemental trades that included all of this kind of stuff it's just they they were just like eh people don't need this yeah and this this was all like uh you know artists and writers put effort into this this is an important mm -hmm. part of of gi joe's history so hopefully at some point somebody will will do proper well we do know uh the 40th anniversary celebration uh, that that's coming out soon. It's a hardcover collection will be reprinting hot potato. Uh, I don't know if it will have these pinups and this Hal art. Uh, so I appreciate that, but, but I would love to see really nice archival editions of these comics. They deserve it. <laughs> Welcome to Missing in Action, where we discuss characters that were left out of the toy line at some point or other. Uh, and of course, going with our G.I. Joe Real American Hero number one theme, we are specifically going to talk about characters that appeared in this comic that we think deserve figures, whether it be from Super 7 in reaction form or should have had figures from Hasbro or perhaps if the O-rings are really going to get the big relaunch that we hope that they get uh, next year. But in some form or another, there are some characters in this comic that absolutely deserve figures. Uh, Christian, do you want to kick us off? Who, who jumped out at you? Okay. So this might seem like a cheat, but... My pick is General Flag because we actually did not get a General Flag figure until 1992. So like 10 years after this comic came out. Well, and, and he, that that General Flag looked nothing like no this General exactly flag. exactly. So I, I, I wanted, want this General Flag. 
Right. I want issue number one, general flag. Or if Hasbro's going to do the O-ring thing, give me a general flag in the style of the original 13. Well, I think you could do, because if you look at, because when I was thinking about General Flag and General Austin, I think we need both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, O-ring style, you know, when you think of a uniform, it's it's actually, the O-ring style does not lend itself to a dress uniform until you look at, oh, wait, they did gung-ho mm-hmm. in a dress uniform, and he looks great. He doesn't have, like, the, it's... He doesn't have the jacket, the length that it should be right. for a dress uniform, but, but it, it works, works for that figure. Um, but I'm thinking of the the original first release figures that all use the shared body parts. I would even like a general flag in that style that would have matched the other figures that came out at the time. What is, so issue. what, is he just going to be in like green? All green? I mean, I want, don't get me wrong, I want the dress uniform general flag that's in there but i'm just saying if hasbro were to say we'll give you this version i would accept that as well so he's in just I think, like i a, think he needs to have the suit i don't i don't i don't yeah. want general flag in like battlefield uniform. yeah that would be that would be weird i honestly i think the best execution for flag and austin would be super seven reaction figures because it's easier to do that kind of uniform on five points of articulation than yeah. it is an o-ring mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think we're more likely to get them from Super 7, considering they have put out 27 times as many reaction figures as Hasbro has produced O-rings in the past two years. <laughs> uh, yeah, Flag and Austin, I think, are big needs. Uh, my first one was Dr. Adele Burkhardt. Yeah, and that's that's a Super 7 reaction figure if I've ever seen yeah, one. Yeah, absolutely. Those bright colors, yes. that obscurity. Yeah, that's exactly the kind of thing they would do. But I love, you know, I talked about last episode how much I love her counterpoint to what G.I. Joe is. But at the same time, justification for G.I. Joe, uh, I I think she's a very important central character to the G.I. Joe mythology. I'd love to have a figure. I think uh, for mine, and they did technically... They did eventually do a figure, but it wasn't until 2016. Um, And no, she's not a character in this, but she evolved from the lore shooter. Um, I I love the idea that they later developed that this missing character that was a one-off joke because they needed to fill an extra panel uh, and was a tribute to editor-in-chief Jim Shooter. And they eventually made her uh, an African-American woman member of gi joe who was a sharpshooter and, this is uh, the one whose face is covered in the yeah the yep. panel yep so they did eventually release a figure of her uh because she did play into the idw comics later on but uh going back and having an original 13 style figure of that if you did it as an o-ring right now yes that I would, would be awesome i would i i don't care how much it costs at this point in time yeah that would be fantastic uh, I would like to see, and I think I mentioned this last episode, but I would like to see a G-Men figure. Mm-hmm. The black-suited <laughs> government agents just do one, or or do or do what Super Seven has been doing: do three, 
with the three different skin tones, but the same body, just the or, black suited sunglasses. Or do them all with different weapons, too, so you can yes, have a total of yeah. nine yes. combinations. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I, I would love to have a G.I. Joe themed G-Man figure. I, that would be great. I would love that. I would also love uh, Baroness in the reporter disguise with the camera gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles April O'Neil oh, figure. Oh, yeah. That that had literally a forty five pistol. You pull the camera off, uh, so like do the same kind of thing, but do a Baroness in disguise with that. That would be very cool. That sounds like a Super Seven Ultimates. It really does, doesn't it? She'd have like, the alternate head. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It it seemed like because it's so funny with Super Seven Ultimates because they are expensive. But at the same time, this is a figure that I think would earn that. You you could include enough interesting accessories and options mm-hmm. to be like, oh gosh, you know what? I really would like to have that. Uh Colonel Sharif. Yeah. Let's do Colonel Sharif and some of his people, some of his his let's do some non-Cobra enemies. I would love to see that. Uh and then I would want this, I guess, okay, Super 7 would do it, and they would have a lot of fun with it and make it kind of silly, kind of like the PSA figures they did. But Hasbro could do it, and it would just be a figure that you could buy two of. I want Double Flash with Silver Gear. (laughs) So Super 7 would do it as a two-pack on a single blister card, like Tomax and Zamot style, and it's literally just two of the same figure. (laughs) But it's it's the Flash twins. Uh, Because someone needs to pay 40 bucks for that. (laughs) Yeah, I would! And I would keep it on the card, because it's so ridiculous. Uh... Or I just would like to see Hasbro do an O-ring variant of just Flash with silver gear. Because if you notice in that commercial, his his backpack and laser rifle are silver. So just do a variant with the silver gear. And if you want to buy two of them to make the Flash twins, you can. And they come with a little pack of double mint chew. Oh my gosh. I want... uh... (laughs) I want them to make figures of some of these other Cobra minions that you first see when you when we first introduce Cobra Commander and yes. it's got Dr. Burkhart. So there first of all, there's the there's the Cobra Com guy who doesn't have a helmet on and he's got this this headset on and he's doing the He's doing the pile. Cobra salute. I have he's on my list. But the panel before that, there's a just a mysterious bald minion of Cobra Commander who's just standing uh offside and I don't know who he is, but I want him. <laughs> oh yeah, look at this guy. He almost looks like a it's like a proto destro. Yes. Very but he's wearing but he's wearing like a he's he's slim and he's got kind of this like tight fitting suit and he's what? got what looks like a big like a Some big knife strapped to his leg or strapped yeah. to his thigh. Yeah, that guy's interesting. I overlooked that. You're right. We we need Whoever that is, we need we need that. Well, and I can just see this this panel right here. This could be a Super Seven release with this little 
torture chair with that's the chair, Dr. Burkhardt's yeah. in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then a Baroness and a Cobra Commander and a couple of Cobra Troopers and then bald Cobra Minion guy. Yeah, well, that, that guy's great. That sort of ties into the, the second one that I had. So I know with the regular line, we got the Cobra shooting range, but I would have loved for a G.I. Joe training room. Oh, yes. Play set yeah. where they could have done their ammo practice and sensory deprivation bubble. That is on my list. The Joe Combat Training Center with the bubble and breaker in his swim trunks with a towel. Because <laughs> you have to have that bubble to put breaker in. And he's the only figure that, that comes because you can buy the rest of the figures separately. But included with the play set is the breaker in his swim trunks, and he's got a little towel. Now, yes. Are we also discussing vehicles for our MIA, or is this just characters? Because I have some vehicles listed as yeah, well. Yeah, because if we got, got vehicles, yeah, there's there's definitely some that need to be made. Including, of course, this Cobra limousine. That, yes. Uh... <laughs> it's, on, it's on my list. Yes. And the Cobra limousine would include Baroness disguised as Dr. Burkhart because yes. I want a whole subline of Baroness in disguise. Mm-hmm. It would be a whole entire subline of, and, and let's face it, Super Seven is the one that's making all of these. Whether people like it or not, whether people like the prices or not, they're the only ones who are doing these things. Uh, yes, that fancy. Uh, well, I I listed it as fancy Cobra car. <laughs> <laughs> um, to to go back up, uh, the Cobra horse drummer. Yes. Yes. <laughs> this guy riding a big white horse and playing the drums for Cobra. Uh, I'm a big fan of this. I think we need this as a figure. Um, if I'm not mistaken, that's that's the first glimpse we get of Cobra at all. Yes, is it is. Yes, this it guy is. playing the drums on a horse that, that <laughs> somehow Generals Flag and Austin have a recording of this Cobra ceremony, which. The first thing that pops into my head looking at this is the giant uh, like Nazi party in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. <laughs> like that's what this looks like to me. Uh, so I also want, though, our first glimpse of Cobra Commander. We talked again. We talked about this last episode, but when he's in his sort of dress uniform with all of the, the piping and the shoulder gear and the hood, like I want this fancy dress Cobra commander. And then later on, he has the same uniform, but he puts on his battle helmet, which he has to explain to you. Yes, he does have to explain. There's definitely some exposition going on. There are toys to be sold. That's right. Uh, I also want short fuse with glasses. Yeah. Which, like, a lot of these were being a little fanciful about, like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if they did this? But literally, I do want a comic book short fuse with glasses. Like, that's actually a real thing I think they should do. Well, and and this is why it's so great that Super 7 has this license. Because they would be ones who would just do that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We also have Um, the um the 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 
communications lady working with uh, uh, generals Austin and Flag, yes. uh, who's almost like a proto cover girl, maybe at this point, because she's sitting there doing communications and she's the one that first brings up the entire G.I. Joe team. Yeah, I don't, whoever she is, yes, make a figure. I'm, I'm down with that. Uh, going back to vehicles, these Cobra bubble tanks that are basically a Mobat, but they have a bubble on top. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to have one of these. Uh, t- the entire Cobra arsenal was made up for this issue because well, right, there right. were no vehicles. So because at this point, yeah, Cobra had no vehicles, so it's literally the so the bubble tanks are really cool, and then they've got some kind of I don't know if this I'm looking at the scene on where Cobra commander's looking out over his troops and his vehicles. Uh, I don't know if that's supposed to be the limousine or the fancy car or whatever it is in the front, but then behind that are those half track vehicles that are really mm-hmm. cool. I like those as well. Uh, and then I've got Scarlet with a helmet. Yep. yep. Scarlet I had that as her- like a weapons pack that included her helmet. Okay, yeah, yeah, that would be cool. But yeah, Scarlet with the yellow helmet would be well. So Scarlet's really, head on the original figure would not would not work with a helmet, right? And that's really what we need. We need a good comic book Scarlet with the long mm. hair. Yeah, like I would love to have. And and again, this well, Super Seven has done a comic book Scarlet that's great. But I I want that with a helmet. Uh, and then yep. finally, the last one I've got is Breaker with an M16 and uh, uh, his bubble gum bubble mm-hmm. would be great. And what is his deal with bubbles, you guys? First, he's inside of a bubble, and then he's <laughs> blowing bubbles. Breaker I has some... I did not put that together in my head he but, has uh, he hmm. has got a bubble fixation there's something <laughs> going on there we don't know we don't even know what he does in his private time that's right that's <laughs> none of our business we uh, also it, have and we discussed him briefly last last episode the uh the cool cobra gliders um in the first couple of pages the train the powered gliders yes yes that are like halfway between a claw and a uh a viper a viper the the, yep. the vehicle viper not the soldier viper right <laughs> so there you go just in this one issue of the comic book there are so many options for for hasbro or super seven to pursue uh and i will spend my money on all of them yeah you could even do a battle damaged uh, Scarlet from the hot potato issue. Oh, that would be really oh. cool. yeah, I'd be down with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you could do you could do a uh, battle damaged Scarlet rock and roll without his helmet, with his glorious hair and beard <laughs> situation going on. Uh, the three the the three Joes. In well, there. we don't we don't need another snake eyes. Let's throw Colonel Sharif in that three pack. Oh yeah. Well, I was thinking of uh Hawk and uh Clutch and oh, Stalker yeah. in their in their disguise. in their Eastern, yeah, disguises. Yes, because really with that you just all, got one body. Right. And you just one body three heads. Just different heads. Yes, let's make that happen too. I love it. 
Awesome. Well, you guys, I think we've covered uh, every possibility of toys that need to be made. <laughs> Let's move on and talk about some of the toys that were made. This is Instruments of Destruction, but we're altering things just a little bit to go along with the theme of G.I. Joe, a real American hero number one. We are going to talk about the vehicles and uh, items that were featured in this comic and kind of figure out which one was portrayed in the best manner. And by which I mean, reading this comic, which of the vehicles shown when you saw it, were you like, oh, I have to have that. Like, which one was actually utilized the best as a marketing tool? So, in this comic, we saw the Vamp, the Jump Jetpack, the Mobat, the Hal, and the Ram. I think that's everything. Yep, we didn't get a flak, we didn't get an MMS. Right. Although we did see those in the commercial, which is right. pretty interesting. Did we get the flak? Because the flak... No, okay. I mean, in the in the commercial, I oh I yeah, the, the flax in, in the commercial, commercial, but it's gigantic. Okay, yeah, that's it's, right. It's in the background of one of the shots, but it's huge. Uh but in the comic, we just got those five items, so they're they're all depicted doing the sorts of things you might imagine them doing. Uh which one, as you were seeing it on the panel? kind of jumped out to you the most if you can put yourself in that kid mindset of like oh my gosh that is so cool i have to have that which one do you think this comic marketed to you most successfully christian we'll we'll start with you so for me there is one panel one panel alone that sells a vehicle to me and that is the mobat when it's coming off the boat, the scale is completely off. It's ginormous compared to those Cobra Troopers that are running away. But it's like crawling over the wreckage with all of the gunfire. And yet they still manage to keep it true to its toy form with yeah. the, the cockpit. Um, I... Yeah, more so than any of the other vehicles in this issue, that panel just makes me want to go out and buy that now. Well, and I told you when we were talking about the issue last episode, that one panel of the Mobat coming up over the Cobra, uh, the Cobras that were kind of dug in, mm -hmm. like, use that if they're going to do a HasLab Mobat use that panel as the basis for their marketing because that panel is so cool with that big massive tank just mowing over cobra's defenses yep. it's a phenomenal panel i was my notes when i just just discussing that panel because that definitely was why the mobat was number one in my ranks too uh there was another big green 
like almost indestructible uh character that marvel was pushing around this time too so i just wrote hulk smash because that's what that panel reminds me of <laughs> yeah it's just the hulk yeah. just launching himself at uh at some villains um but i mean just the cover alone when you first see that beautiful cover art and there's the mobat yeah. and there's these joes mm-hmm. jumping off of it um i mean that's enough right there to sell it but they, it's it's Which... used so well in in this issue which, by the way, the highest dollar item out of everything that we've talked about. And it Mobat. was, what, $12.99 at the time? It was probably like $3. Who knows? <laughs> Actually, it was probably more like, like $7.99. It might. Well, United you know States what? Now I feel like we've got to, we've got to look this up. Because now I'm curious. <laughs> we've, we've got to... Uh, electronics maybe put it more at the twelve ninety nine mark. I don't. You know what? I'm betting your seven ninety nine is closer. If if I can get yojo.com to load, because boy, that site's not as reliable as it used to be. Nineteen ninety nine. Oh wow! No way. Yep. Original retail SRP. Nineteen ninety nine. Wow. Wow. And we got That's that that wild. first year. Yeah, I had, I, I had. I yeah, it was, it was one of my. I mean, that's in 1982 money. That's a lot. That is a lot. It's about shocked. 60, probably about $65, $70 at this point. That's wild. That I mean, that's out of all of the instruments of destruction we've done. That is one of the higher priced ones. Yeah. I mean, it was the flagship item of that year. Right. Right. So uh so makes sense because everything else yeah. is pretty affordable when you think about it yeah yeah oh, if you compare sure. it to the vamp the vamp was 8.99 yeah everything else was so the bucks. electronics were 11 dollars worth well wow. plus it's it's a lot bigger than the vamp it's True. not as big as it should be for a, a tank to scale with gi joe but i mean when you were when you're three and a half Six years tall, old yeah, yeah that's a pretty big toy uh so the jump got featured really nicely stalker uh somehow manages to blast off of the raft without murdering all of the other joes (laughs) uh and take out a bunch of cobra emplacements so the jump definitely gets featured very nicely uh but for me the well and the ram also gets especially if you include hot potato the ram gets nicely featured as well Mm -hmm. but for me the ones that really stood out were the vamp and the howl combo the vamp towing the howl that just seemed really really cool and the fact that there was a sears exclusive set of the vamp and the howl uh is kind of perfect so to me that was the one that i felt like because the vamp just seems like an all-purpose it's got a gun on the back but it's a little bit smaller. You can get more figures into it. Uh, it really does seem like more of the all-purpose standard issue Joe vehicle. And then to throw a giant laser cannon on the back, <laughs> thats that to me is the ultimate combo. I love it. So there you go. That is, uh, you know, kind of a limited selection of of uh, vehicles of instruments of destruction, but very well represented considering it is one issue of a comic book, right? And it was the 
five of the seven vehicles that were released in that year. Yeah, it is still a little weird to me that the the MMS and the Flak were not in this issue, but I guess well, and you and and you could have had the I guess you could have had the Mobat hauling the MMS if you wanted to and still incorporate it in. The Flak's a little mm-hmm. harder because yeah, it's, the Flak's it's an emplacement. What but, are they going to do? Airlift it in? Yeah, <laughs> with, especially with if it's of, as uh, big as it is in the commercial. Right. All right, there you go. Those are your G.I. Joe, a real American hero number one, Instruments of Destruction. And this is America's Elite. Now, normally what we do with this segment is we pick one character and take a look at all the different versions and figure out what the best version of that character to be released as a toy is we're going to do it a little bit differently here because we are talking about uh the first issue of the gi joe comic so what we're going to do is determine which joe figure or character was best represented in this comic kind of like we did with the vehicles which representation of a character made you want to run out and buy that figure? Uh, and I'll kick this one off. The panel that really got me, the one that I was like, oh man, that's awesome. Reading this as a kid, I would have had to have this figure immediately was Flash using his laser to cut the insulation around those wires. That was just such a cool scene. It was such a cool depiction of this trooper and his specialty. I just really dug it. So like seeing that and also just how cool flash looks, which isn't, it's not totally fair because the figure looks that cool anyway, but like looking at that, that sequence, I was like, man, if I was a kid, that would be the character. I'd be like, Oh, I've got to have that guy. Noel, what about you? Was who, who stood out to you as like, man, I got to run out and buy this figure. I would say for characterization in both the main story and also in the hot potato, rock and roll, because he's just, he's so cool. He's different because he's got this big bushy blonde beard. He's got these bandoliers. He carries this gigantic uh, machine gun and uh, he says, eat hot lead turkeys. (laughs) So (laughs) I mean, yeah, if I were reading this for the first time, that would be the one to be like, I got to go out and get that figure. Christian, which one stood out to you? So I was torn between my top two. Um, so thinking back on it, whether I was a kid whether it's me as an adult now, it would be Scarlet. The way that they portrayed her in the comics is different enough from the cartoon. I, she just seems way more take charge in in the the comic. And if I didn't know any better, especially um with how she's portrayed in hot potato i would think that scarlet is one of the leaders 
yeah. of G.I. Yeah. Joe because she gets I think she gets more dialogue than anybody else in yep. the issue. And she gets to command people. Yeah. She gets to boss people around. And and they did a good job between the two stories actually showcasing, you know, like yeah, she has her crossbow. Most of the Joes all had their signature weapon, but they acknowledge, you know, she uses the throwing stars that were on her gloves. She has her wrist pistol. Like every little bit about her toy made it into this comic. And she uses rock and roll's machine gun. She does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think they did a as the creative teams did as good a job as they possibly could of kind of highlighting all of the original 13 the the best way possible in this 50 pages uh, of comic mm-hmm. there there's not reading this as a kid there isn't a single toy that i would not have wanted like the whole thing is a very uh effective marketing tool yes it all works yeah and As a kid, the jump did nothing for me. My my friends that had it, I it it yeah. was never I, I must go out and buy. As an adult, rereading this issue, um, and how much Stalker does zipping around on the jump pack, I don't know what was wrong with kid me. Dude, I'm right there with yeah. you. Because I didn't, I didn't even so have it. Awesome. I didn't, yeah, I didn't have, have it until I got the jump. mail in. I never, I yeah. never had it until a couple of years ago when I, I bought the one that I have on my shelf now. I never had the jump, and I didn't. I, I, it, which it seems insane to me to think that as a kid, I didn't care about having a jetpack. Right. Yeah. But it just seemed like a small, like when you're looking at things like the Skyhawk or the Sky Striker or like the the Dragonfly or the Tomahawk, mm-hmm. the jetpack just doesn't seem as cool, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I I just I never had much of an interest in it. Uh, one of like my friend had it, and I thought it seemed kind of flimsy because really it's that the main part of it, not the not the base, but that part that the backpack clips onto. It's really like flimsy hollow plastic that just pegs in to the side of it. Yeah. Well, it, does, it barely that, even like, pegs in. It just sits yeah. there. Mm-hmm. And it kind of hangs off. And it, yeah. It, 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 it leans a little bit. So I never, I was like, eh, this isn't that good. And uh, I think I got it when it was one of the, probably in 1985 or so, when it was one of the mail-in offers. And I, I traded in my flag points for one. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you can tell because in the comic, as well as in the cartoon, like just about every issue, they found a use for that jetpack because they knew this is a toy that every kid can afford. Right. Pretty much. Right. Like anybody who's anybody who's buying our toys, this is going to be something that they can all afford. And maybe maybe they'll even get two or three. Yeah. Looking back, it is unthinkable to me that I did not care about owning that, but I didn't. Yeah. It's wild. I, you know what? The other thing I think I don't love about it, I don't like that the that cannon is connected to the jetpack. 
I don't love that. Yeah, even yeah, even with the uh, like the 25th anniversary figures, with them not changing how the cannon looked, I was like, well, this stylistically just really is even worse now than it was back then. Very interesting. We were yeah, weird. And then the, uh, the other thing that drives me crazy about it is that uh, when they re-released it in 1983 with the Silver Grand Slam and that stupid Silver Grand Slam costs so much money now. Oh, does it? Yeah. I've... I've got one. I, I right don't up have there. a silver. I don't have a silver chested Grand Slam because he's oh, no. He is not a cheap figure. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's. I, I've got him up there standing with the standing on that platform. So the jump originally did not include a figure. No. Right. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, Grand yeah. Slam came with the uh, the was it the flak initially? Well, no, there was. The, so Grand the Slam came with the Howl, but he had the red howl. pads like Flash, right? right. Yep. Because I've got... Okay, so Flash has black shoes. Grand Slam has brown shoes, or is it vice versa? Uh, oh, Grand man. Slam has black shoes. Okay, and so he's yeah, Flash darker, has brown He's got a darker shoes. green. Yeah. He's got the same head as Grunt. Because I've got... I've got Flash, Red Glam, Red Glam Slam. We're gonna get into a Prince <laughs> uh, episode now. Red Glam, Red Grand Slam, and Silver Grand Slam. Who honestly should be a different character entirely. Yeah, well, I mean, especially when you think that what's probably the most forgotten GI Joe character. It's got to be Grand Slam. Yeah. And he's the first character to get a, to get a true G, uh, V2. Mm-hmm. Because oh, everybody wow. else got a V1.5 in 83. He actually got a full recolor. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So this says, uh, so 1983, he was packaged with the jump pack. Prior to that, it was sold without a figure. And then Grand Slam was discontinued in 1984. So, one year only on the market for only on the shelf wow for one year. and said uh, i'm one in decent shape the the least you're going to pay for that figure with the with the jump is 200 bucks what wow. yeah yeah wow. the figure figure itself goes for like close to 200 holy cow i have no idea he's in good shape yeah mine's uh Mine's in great shape. None of the silver's missing or anything. He's got his helmet, got his visor. Hold on to it. I certainly will. Yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't sell Joe's. I've actually got because because just of the nature of the collection that I've I've built, I've got a lot of doubles uh and they're all bagged and in a box and I will never sell them. Mm-hmm. I, I I just couldn't stomach selling Joe's. All right, guys. Well, I think we've, uh, it's time to wrap this thing up. Let's move on. This is Knowing is Half the Babble, where we each get a little bit of time to talk about 
whatever we want. And we're going to open things up a little bit, you guys. Traditionally, we have talked about G.I. Joe-related things, but I think knowing is half the babble. Uh, you know, lots of us collect lots of different things. I, I think we open it up to where the babble could be about anything we want. And I'm going to kick it off uh, this week with something a little bit different. So I have talked about what a lunatic I am and how many different things I collect in the past. Uh, I am a collector of wrestling figures and I am seriously considering quitting wrestling figures and taking what? all the ones that I have putting them in it. I will not sell them because I've learned my lesson about that, but I'm seriously thinking about taking that whole wall of figures, putting them in a tote uh, because you know, money Everything's getting to be more expensive. I want to keep collecting all my Super 7 stuff. I want to keep collecting my my NECA stuff. I want to keep collecting Joe's. And I, I've got to make some cuts somewhere. And space is an issue. And I look at that wall of wrestling figures, and I think to myself, could I what a wonderful put, world <laughs> think to myself what a wonderful space for different toys uh it's something i'm seriously considering because uh you know it, it, i love shows i love comic book figures i love horror figures and and ninja turtles like they're all these great interesting looking toys but at the end of the day wrestling figures are dudes in their underpants they're just not as exciting as a Ninja Turtle or a flamethrower soldier or a creature from the Black Lagoon. And, and as much as I love wrestling and I'll always be a fan, like those figures just aren't as fun and fulfilling as all the other stuff that I want to collect. So I'm that's that's my babble is I'm seriously considering putting an end to that collection uh and box don't let the major and, brothers know they're going to be very disappointed in you Dave. they will be horrified <laughs> and i still i love listening to the major wrestling figure podcast uh but i may not be buying any more major bendies or uh their new super sevens that are coming out which which i i will go ahead and say even though this is not what we talk about here necessarily uh if if you think that their new Super 7s are overpriced, one, you are wrong. Two, you need to listen to their interview with Brian Flynn where he literally explains why Super 7 figures cost what they cost. And if you listen to that and you still think they're overpriced, then you just don't have very good comprehension. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I, I want to say to you real quickly, uh, down here, both in my old house and my new one, uh, space for displaying things has always been an issue. There are certain toy lines that I keep out all the time. And then there are certain ones that I will rotate the displays. Oh, wow. And That's a lot of work. It is. But what I have found is sometimes I will get very lazy and I can go three or four months without rotating the display out. Uh, for example, right, uh, actually since before summer, um, 
I took down my Star Wars display and uh, just recently had like earlier this week uh, got the tote out so I could do some photography with them and not having them on my shelves as I was getting them out. I have rediscovered my love for them uh, and feeling inspired to track down some vintage collection figures. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so that could possibly, you know, maybe putting them away for a while and stepping back could be a good thing to yeah. later on down the road, remind you of what you loved about those figures. Well, and that's been my problem in the past. This, this is actually my third collection of modern wrestling figures. I have sold two in the past and regretted it like within a couple of years and, and had to sort of start over again, I've which is why I reacquired stuff. I've sold so many times now because uh, yeah. well, my, like uh, my living room, it's, it's all movie themed in there. So it's movie posters and movie inspired merchandise. So I've got a lot of like my, my movie action figures are in there. Like uh, my NECA figures, my, like a predator, my alien, you know, so my, my horror stuff is in there. And I, I, put up a new shelf above a door and I was like, oh, let me go dig out those uh, Austin Powers figures. I'm sure they're in a tote somewhere. And then it dawned on me that like years ago, oh, I sold them off. Yeah. Farland Austin Powers ones. And I was like, I've been there. I got to go back and get those. And thankfully they are still Dirty. pretty easy to acquire yeah. and, and pretty cheap on eBay, especially if you get the ones without the the talking background things. Yeah. That they yeah, came yeah. With. But they're great figures. I mean, they're, they don't, they don't move a lot. They're not very articulated, they're but they're really Farland figures. Yeah. They're really good likenesses for, yeah. you know, uh, 1999 mm-hmm. to 2000 when they first came out. So yeah, I've done that. I've done that with those. That's the most recent one that I've kind of gone back and reacquired. Yeah, it, and that's the worst is like when you think you've you're kind of over something and then you come back to it a few years later and you're like, oh, wow. Oh, I need to get those. And then you realize, oh, I sold them. Ah, yep. <laughs> I hate that feeling. So, yeah, I don't I'm very, very careful about anything that I sell anymore. Uh, all right. Well, uh, Noel, what is your babble? So, uh Speaking of other things that I am collecting right now, I've, I know I mentioned it before. I think I mentioned it when we were doing our live broadcast at Joe Fest because that's when I flipped a switch and decided, okay, I'm going to start a new collection for some strange reason at my stupid age. Um, <laughs> so I've been uh, getting into GoBots. Um, oh, yeah, I, yeah. The, the impetus there was that I found the, the GoBots Guardians headquarters for a pretty good price complete. And I was like, well, I got to have that. And now that I'm at this show, let me go find everybody who's got some and I'll pick up you know, a bunch of loose ones. So I've been amassing them on eBay and stuff. But what's been really cool, especially going back in a toy line that you've always kind of liked, but you weren't really into for so many years. Um, there's a couple of groups on Facebook that I've seen where people have been sharing some of the old catalogs for Machine Robo, which was the line mm-hmm. that they were based on. And what they did with these catalogs, because if you think about GoBots, they were, most of them had, didn't have very much articulation. They made a, may have had two points in the arms and that might've been it. But what they did for these catalogs is they like cut the figures 
and pose them in like these really super articulated poses. And the photography is just mind blowing because you're seeing this tiny little three inch tall figure and they've got it in a little diorama where it's like crashing over little like toy cars and it's knocking down trees and it's just this little three inch figure that they have like, you know, taken a, taken a little blade to and cut it off and like re-glued it in different positions. Um, I'll need so, to, so to share some of those. Well, yeah, they're lies. Tonka, but, Tonka was telling us lies. Well, no, and this wasn't Tonka. This was Bandai. Oh. But at the oh, same oh. time, this is how Bandai encouraged kids to play with their toys back in the early 1980s. With, with lies. They wanted they no, they wanted you <laughs> to customize them. Oh, really? So apparently this this was part of the marketing for this toy line at the time. So um I'll have to I'll, I'll have to, to share some of the pictures because they I mean some of the coolest toy photography i've ever seen wow really okay yeah, yeah. and then yeah that... keep in mind it, at least as i've always understood it when machine robo started bandai little kids sent in their ideas that's why they're limited articulation so the whole the whole goal of machine robo was kids play with your toys mm-hmm as opposed to, you know, kids today. Yeah. So the customizing aspect, that, I can't wait to see those photos. Huh, interesting. Christian, what about you? What's your babble? Well, so my babble, I want to give a shout out to the uh, Twitter user PG underscore toys. Um, they are someone who gets a hold of a lot of not just GI Joe, but other toy lines. They get a hold of prototype artwork, photos, figures, yada, yada, yada. They've kind of been on a GI Joe kick recently. Um, they posted a prototype artwork of Jinx where she had the GI Joe logo going across her leg, um, which I'm glad we didn't get because yeah that's a little too on the nose but it's uh, very it's very 2002 yeah but they they posted a photo uh there was a prototype mauler that the joystick on the back looks it's taller it looks more like what the joystick on an old 80s arcade machine would look like and what in all the years of, of looking at, at Joe stuff, I never realized this prototype is what is pictured on the side of the Mahler box. Oh, wow. So, so something, you know, this prototype was in plain sight all these years. And I'm sure there's other Joe fans that picked up on it. Um, but I have been oblivious all this time and I saw that photo and I was like, oh, wow, that's really cool. And then they're like, yep, it's visible on the packaging. Wow. So, so if you guys are into prototypes, check out PG Toys. Very interesting. Very cool. All right, guys. Well, uh, that is it for this week. As always, our music is by Andy Samford of electricminnowmusic.com. You can follow us on Instagram at Audible Interlude Podcast, and that is generally the best way to get in touch. So if you have any thoughts or input, 
Uh, anything we missed about this episode, message us at Audible Interlude Podcast on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter at G.I. Joe Audible. Christian, where can we find those wonderful pictures? You can find me on Flickr.com and Instagram under Legion Cub. Uh, every single week, you can find toy reviews on the Needless Things YouTube channel. Please go subscribe. I'm very close to a thousand subscribers. Once I get there, I will put up a tour of the glow in the dark toys in my toy room. Uh, so once I hit a thousand subscribers, you will get a, a full glow-in-the-dark tour of the Phantom Zone. That is the Needless Things YouTube channel, hopefully with more G.I. Joe reviews to come in the very near future. Uh, Noel, why don't you tell us a little bit about The Finest? The Finest is an international G.I. Joe costuming club that uh, I happen to be a member of. And, uh, of course, if you've ever been interested in doing a costume, we got lots of resources out there, but what while it's all fun and games to uh, to dress up like a G.I. Joe character uh, and stand around and take cool po- cool photos, uh, really the best thing that we do is we raise money for a great charity called Canines for Warriors. So uh, if you ever see us at uh, any of the events that you're at, uh, stop by the table, throw a few dollars. It all goes to that fantastic charity. Well, you guys, thank you for sitting down and talking about G.I. Joe once again. And as always, yo, Joe. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.